you got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. And let's look at verse eight. There's a lot of big names that I'm going to not pronounce. Not because I don't want to, but because I can't. I just don't have the ability. My tongue is not skilled enough. And so it begins in verse eight by talking about five different kings that marched down into the valley of Sidim and they drew their battle lines is what verse eight finishes saying. And then it goes in verse nine and it says that there were four different kings that were against these five kings. In verse 10, now the valley of Sidim was full. Look at it. Think about it. Imagine it. This valley is full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, the men fell into the tar pits and some fled into the hills. And the four kings then walked through. They just went in and seized all the goods of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. They went away. They also carried off Abram or Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. But a man escaped and he came and reported to Abraham, the Hebrew. And now Abram was living near the great trees and several other things were going on there. And when (laughs) Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out to the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided up his men, attacked and they routed them, pursuing them as far as some of those places. And he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative. By the way, if you listen to a preacher and he can pronounce everything perfectly, question that guy's schedule. Okay. <laughs> I don't have enough time to do it. So he's got something I don't, he's got skills. I don't. So they recovered all the goods, brought back the relative lot and his possessions together. They also brought back the women and the other people. I want to use this text to talk to you on the subject of valley fighters. And the Bible is filled with stories of valleys. 28 times in the Bible, we read of significant events that occurred in valleys. You've got the Valley of Eskal, the Valley of Kidron. You've got the Elah Valley where David hears the threats of Goliath against the children of Israel. In the end, in the book of Revelation, the final battle of all time, the battle of Armageddon happens in the Valley of Jezreel. And so in this story, when we read about this valley and the battle that occurs in this valley, the Valley of Sedim, it's not a story of victory. It's not a story of God's people overcoming. It's actually a story of how they lose the battle and unfortunately even lose their families. And so this is more of a picture of how not to fight. This is a picture of maybe some things that we should avoid doing if we really uh, want to see a difference made in our families. If you want to avoid losing your children, this is a good message for you. The background story here is pretty clear that there were four oppressing kings that had joined together in an alliance and They're wreaking havoc on this region of the world. They're conquering cities, subduing kingdoms, taking territory. And where most invaders would 
go in and loot and take the spoils and then go back to their parts of the world or their communities or cities or kingdoms. These four kings were somewhat different. They not only attacked, but then they moved into these territories and they occupied them. And in the story that we read, these people for 12 years had lived in fear. For 12 years, they had been harassed by these four kings that had taken over this territory. And so the five kings that had been oppressed and their kingdoms have a secret meeting. And in the secret meeting, they draw up plans on how uh, they're going to push out the enemy from their communities and push out the enemy from their homes. And it is their heart that, that, that they get freedom again and that they have peace again. And so they launched their battle plans. Initially, it was small battles because it was just small numbers of troops that had been left behind to keep everything in order. And so these five kings initially and their armies push these lesser troops out with ease. But eventually they know they're going to come face to face with these four kings and their military that has been so fierce in battle that they've conquered any enemy they've come up against for decades. And so they get to this valley of Sidim. They draw their battle lines and they make the call. If you come into this valley, we're going to attack you. You can walk away. You can leave. But this is the battle line. Do not cross this line. The word Sidim, if you study the etymology of that word, comes from the word demon. And so this is a valley of demons. To give you a hint into how I'm seeing uh, this message unfold, it really does give us some insight into spiritual warfare. As spiritual as that sounds, I think just a minute, we just need to think about the enemy is doing everything he can to work against our lives and our homes and our families. And the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. So you do every now and then have to have a message that will give you some insight into how the devil or how um, spiritual forces are working against your life. Paul said that we should not be ignorant of the enemy's devices. David said this about the valley that he walked through. I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, but he went on to say, I fear no evil. So what's beginning to take place is we're seeing that valleys or the low places of life seem to have a concentration of spiritual attacks. There's a concentration of, of evil. There's a concentration of when the enemy sees you in a low place, in a down place, he intensifies his attacks in your life. He's going he's gonna to intensify using whatever means necessary because he knows when you're in that down place, in that weakened place, that's the best place for him to hit you. Now, I've always imagined something like a valley of demons, you know, being something like, you know, how I grew up, you know, watching The Exorcist, right, where, where heads are spinning, right, crazy eyes, foaming at the mouth, 
you know, there definitely had to be some pentagrams and some ritual sacrifices in this, this valley of demons. Maybe someone's hissing like a serpent or moving around on their stomach, but that's not what the scripture says. It says this valley of demons is full of tar pits. No dead people reaching out of the tar pits, trying to grab you. Just basic geography, a massive valley that's full of tar pits. This, this tar we know would be a black sticky substance. And so these five kings have drawn their battle lines in this valley. Their reasons for going into this battle are noble. They are desiring freedom. They're doing what they can do to protect their families. They're, they're guarding their homes and their communities. And they're fighting for peace. They're fighting for their futures. They're, they're done watching the enemy oppress them. And after 12 years, enough is enough. And so these five kings start running into the valley to push out these oppressing kings and their army. And as they run down into the valley, you would think that the enemy was going to run down to meet them. But these four oppressing kings and their armies don't move a finger. They just sit back and watch. And as they watch, sure enough, this army that's fighting for their families, they're, they're, again, their reasons are noble. They're fighting for their freedom. The momentum as they come down the hill into the valley, the momentum of the crowd, they come up to these pits and they try to stop. But unfortunately, the people behind them and the momentum of the crowd behind them begins to push one soldier after another, after another into these tar pits. And the momentum is great enough that every single one of those soldiers begins to fall into these tar pits. And by the tens of thousands, this soldier has been completely destroyed. The enemy never has to shoot an arrow. The enemy never has to draw a sword, never has to lift a shield. There's no hand to hand combat. All the enemy does is sit back and watch these five Kings who are fighting for their freedom and their army totally defeated by a tar pit. The enemy after these men are defeated by these tar pits just walks right past them. Many of them still alive, their armor completely uh, engulfed in tar, unable to move or do anything to protect their families. Watches as the enemy walks right into their city, right into their homes, destroys their community and kidnaps their women and children, and then walks right past them and watches their families be carried into captivity. I love this story because it is a picture of how as God's people, if we're not careful, we can lose our families. We can lose our loved ones. We can lose our communities. We can lose our nation. And here the story teaches us that the people that know how to fight, they're fighting for the right reasons. They're, they're, they're fighting for their families. They're fighting for freedom. They can't fight because of these tar pits. They're not destroyed by their enemy because he's stronger. They're not overcome by their enemy because he's more skilled in battle. They're defeated because they underestimated the power of environment. 
The Bible says that Satan is the God of this world, little g. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's the geography, the mountains, the oceans, and the lakes. That's the, the dirt, the soil, um, the topography, if you will. That's, that's the Lord's. He, that's his. But early in Genesis, man, human beings, forfeited the world, the system, the culture, the environment of this world. And so Satan is the God, little g, of this world. So any system on this earth, we live in America, which has discovered some of the greatest systems ever created in law, in government, uh, in checks and balances, in, in, in finance. However, there's still man-made systems. And so we have to realize that we're in a world that is not necessarily controlled by the spirit of God. It's controlled the world system. Satan little G is the God of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. The Bible says like pilgrims, we're kind of passing through. This is not our home. And so the enemy, my point is, has home field advantage. We're fighting on his turf. We're fighting on his territory. And like in this story, he sits back and he waits and he watches for God's people to find themselves in valleys, to find themselves in a dark or difficult or desperate place. And in the valley, it appears like people just don't see things accurately. The, the depression, the discouragement, the difficulty begins to cause us to maybe not see things the way that we should. And Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they both end up in a pit. And so this is a story where I want to take just a few more minutes of your time and teach you on how to be a valley fighter. Number one, number one, tar pits represent our thinking, represent mindsets, represent attitudes that are in our life that many times if we fall into them, we can't fight, we can't progress, and we can't move forward. Isaiah 38 and verse 7 says bitterness is a pit in a man's soul. That bitterness and unforgiveness have a way of, of causing us to live in our mind like we're stuck in a tar pit. Can't move on, can't move forward, we can't progress. The Bible says Joseph was thrown by his brothers into a pit. He gets out of that pit, that physical pit. He gets out of it. He gets out of how his brothers harmed him and hurt him. He gets out of the abandonment. He makes it out of it. He's living his life. He, he's successful. He's accomplished. He's achieved. He starts having his own family and he has his son and he names his son Manasseh, which means to forget the pain of his father's house. So even years after that initial betrayal from his brothers, Joseph is still saying every single day, I've got to remind myself to forgive and to let go of the pain that was caused by my brothers many, many years ago. What Joseph is saying is it doesn't matter how far we go in life. If we're not careful, that bitterness can end up being a tar pit in your life and in your mind. 
We could go through fear or worry or shame or addiction. All of these things are tar pits in your head. They're tar pits in our thinking. The Bible says that's why we're to not be conformed by this world. Again, the environment or the system of this world, because this world is going to do everything it can to work on your mind. Get you to think wrong, get you to believe wrong, get you to see yourself wrong, see God wrong, see other people wrong. Because really one of the most important things about you is how you see God. And then that affects how you see yourself. So, so he's going to work on us. So the Bible says, don't be conformed. And it's dealing with your mind because it goes on to say, but be rather transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove that which is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So we're born into this environment, this world, this, this valley of demons, if you will. And because of that, there's going to be constant times where in the low places, the enemy sets up these tar pits to get us trapped and stuck. And so a valley fighter has to know, I've got to keep my mind renewed. I've got to, like Joseph, keep telling myself to let go of that pain, let go of that, that hurt, let go of that abandonment, let go of that thing that somebody, let go of that failure, let go of that season of mistakes, let go. I've got to keep telling myself to, to let go of it. Why? Because a valley fighter has to renew their mind. You got to transform your mind. Why? If you don't, you'll live angry. If you don't, you'll live mad. You'll live in regret. You'll live in shame. You'll, you'll live thinking wrong. And so we have to realize that these tar pits really deal with our way of thinking. Proverbs 26, 27 says, those who dig a pit for others fall into it themselves. So a way of thinking is, I hope you fail. I hope you fall. And that mindset is, if you go down, I go up. And the Bible says, that kind of mindset, you think you're digging the pit for someone else, but you'll fall into it yourself. It's a wrong mindset to think if I pull you down, somehow I go up. Really, that's what Joseph's brothers thought. They saw Joseph dreaming. They saw Joseph blessed. They saw the favor on his life. And they think to themselves, if we put him down in this pit, it's going to pull us up. We're going to be blessed if we can take away what God's done for him. We can actually move up. And this is what I believe happened in that moment. If you study the life of Joseph and you study the life of his brothers. For Joseph, the pit experience was a temporary circumstance. For his brothers, it became a permanent mindset. Joseph's brothers never really grew beyond the moment they thought, if I bring him down, I go up. They got stuck in that moment. They got trapped in that moment. That was a tar pit for his. Joseph moved on. Joseph became the second greatest man of an entire nation. And God blessed him and raised him up. The tar pit did not... In the mind of the brothers never kept Joseph down, but it did end up causing them to permanently never evolve or elevate in their own lives. Proverbs 22, 14 says adultery is a deep pit. King David was out on the balcony. He looks down and he sees Bathsheba. And when he sees her immediately, he begins to be pulled into the pit of temptation 
The Bible says what he should have been doing was he should have been out to war. He should have been fighting, but he couldn't go fight. He couldn't go into the battle. He, he, he couldn't guard and protect the things that mattered. Why? Because he ended up in the tar pit of temptation. We need to know that many times this is how the enemy is with each of us. We go into the valley in our relationship. Our marriage ends up in the valley. We find ourselves feeling empty and maybe lonely. We find ourselves thinking to ourselves in the valley, like I deserve better. I deserve more. And the enemy is right there to whisper in your ear in the valley. Again, he intensifies the attack in the low places. He intensifies the attack when you're down and, and when you feel lonely and when you feel empty. But the Bible is clear that if you get stuck in that kind of temptation, that you'll lose your family and you'll lose your legacy. You know, the Bible goes on to say in Proverbs that you take everything you've worked for your whole life and you give it away to another man. You know what the wisdom of Solomon did for those of us who don't understand when you're in the valley of demons, when you're in the valley of temptation and the enemy's trying to tell you, oh, look at that girl at the workplace. Look at that guy at the workplace or, or, or connect with that old friend on social media. You know, you know what the enemy is actually doing? He's at, you need to put a financial number on it. You need to, you need to put your kid's face on that temptation because you'll give your life's work away to someone else. The 930 like that point. Number one, tar pits are in your thinking. Number two, tar pits are not easy to get out of and it's hard to get off of you. You can't get out and you can't get it off. They said that a tar pit is similar to quicksand. The more you fight, the more it sucks you in. It's a black, heavy substance. It weighs you down and it controls your movements. Psalms 84 and 11 says that the pit will rob you of your strength. Lamentations 3 says the pit will silence you. It will silence your voice. It implies you lose your influence because you went into the battle initially wanting to fight for the right reasons, but you got stuck in something that is not important along the way. You got stuck in something that, that really has nothing to do with your ultimate goal. You just got sucked into something that, that really at the end of the day is meaningless and nothing, but yet that's the thing. That's the mindset that's controlling your life. The Bible says that they lost the battle, that they lost their families, that they lost their communities, totally defeated, not by the enemy, but by these tar pits. You see, we need to remember that you can be saved and still not free. You can be saved and bound. As a Christian, not only does God want to save you and make sure that he secures eternity for you, that you'll be in heaven, but he also wants to bring freedom to you here on earth. He don't want you living the rest of your life in tar pits. Can I help you out in wrong thinking? Jesus said in, in Matthew 
12, 11, he said, what man is there who has a sheep and he falls down into a pit? Will that man not lift that sheep out? What Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm a good shepherd and I love you. And tar pits are just a part of it. And guess what? You can't get out of it on your own and you can't get it off of you on your own. But Jesus was clear. Hey, listen, I'm not going to sit there and let you stay in that pit. I'll do what I have to do to lift you out of it. And number three, and we'll get out of here, is tar pits don't have to become your tombstone. Jeremiah 38, it tells the story of the prophet Jeremiah being captured by these men who were tired of what he was saying and what he was prophesying. And they throw him down in a pit. And when he hits the bottom, he begins to sink in the mud. Word gets back to the king of what's happened. And the king says, if someone doesn't go and rescue Jeremiah, he'll die in that pit. That, that, that pit will become his tombstone. So some men get together and they go and they look down and it's so deep. They don't have what they think they need to have to pull him out. And so one man, man reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a dirty rag. And another man reaches in his pocket and pulls out a dirty rag. And another one in his pocket and they pull out and they start tying these dirty rags together. And they make a rope and they throw the rope down into that pit where Jeremiah is. He ties it around his waist and they use those dirty rags to pull the prophet Jeremiah out. I love this because it just teaches us that you're really always in one of two groups. You're in the group that throws people in the pit or you're in the group of those who pull people out of the pit. And this is what we always need to remember that we serve a great king who always knows if you're in a pit and he's not going to sit back and let that tar pit become a tombstone. He's going to send someone into your life to help pull you out. And I love the fact that they didn't have a nice little pretty religious rope. All they had was a dirty rag. All they had was another dirty rag. And that's really all we got in this room, by the way. At least that's all I got is a dirty rag, which represents my life. It's not polished. It's not pretty. It's not together. It's still kind of, I don't really think it's really that usable. I think there's probably a better way. There's probably something better that God could use, but it's my rag. It's all I got. And you pull your dirty rag and we tie it together and together you know what? We become the kind of people who say, I'm going to use my life dirty, messed up, not together. Wish it was different, but it is what it is. But I'm going to lift someone out of their pit with what God's given me. Psalms 40 and verse two, David said, he pulled me out of the horrible pit. David said, God, look down, saw me in the mud, saw me in the mire, saw me in the, the slime and the tar, and he pulled me out and he set my feet on a rock. He established my goings because tar pits don't have to become tombstones. Really, that's what church services are about. That's why you're here. That's why you're in Anderson right now, because, because that's what happens in services like this. 
God reaches down and he says, you don't have to stay in that tar pit. You don't have to stay weighed down, controlled by that mindset any longer. God can lift you out of that like David, but you have to be willing to let him reach down and pull you out. A lot of people are going to leave this service saying, no, no, thank you, God. I'm just going to keep working on it. I'm just going to work through this sin on my own. I'm just going to work through this pain on my own. I'm just going to work through this wound on my, I'm just going to work through this bitterness on my own. And Jesus is like, man, I'm the, I'm the good. I'll pull you out. I can lift you out of that, but you got to reach up and grab that divine hand that knows how to lift you and pull you out. But it works the same way for all of us. The enemy comes in and he whispers, there's no way. God can't really do that for you. I mean, I mean, come to church enough, you hear sermons enough, you get these little sparks of hope and think, man, maybe, maybe life will begin to turn for me here. But you go back to the same addiction, you go back to the same you know, bitterness, you go back to the same, you know, temptations and you stay stuck. Eventually you'll come to church and you just, you'll hear it, but it won't, it won't hit you right because you just heard it so much, but it's not brought change. And then you start to say, well, you know, I mean, I'm not really saying it. I'm here, but really I've given up that there can really ever be a life that's not stuck in this tar pit. I was reminded of this story in Luke 7 where Jesus goes to the city of Nain, and there's a widow whose son has just died. He's in the casket, and they're carrying him to the cemetery, and Jesus walks in, and he touches the casket. The boy comes back to life, which is spectacular uh, on its own, but there's two Greek words for dead. Number one is the Greek word nekros, which means dead. That's just what it means. The second word is the word thornco, which actually means dead and prepared, meaning that the mortician had prepared the body, taken the lungs out, taken the heart out, um, drained the body of its blood and prepared it, then put him, embalmed it, put it, the body in the casket. And so when Jesus shows up, that's the word that's used for what happened to this boy is that word thornco. He had been dead and prepared. So when Jesus touches the casket, it's not like he's just breathing life into lungs. It's not like he's just jump-starting the boy's heart again. No, he's recreating the boy from the inside out, giving him a new heart, giving him new lungs. I, the magnitude of the miracle changes for me. And really what it speaks to is how many times we're just completely hopeless and it's too late and there's no way there's no hope, but the truth is Jesus knows how to recreate you from the inside out. He knows how to go in and do such a deep work in us. It's never too late. It's never too late. You're never too far gone. He'll go to any extreme necessary to make sure you and I are pulled out of that pit. I love the way the story ends. It's real, real simple. Somebody escapes the tar pit. I can imagine them running, you know, tar dripping off of them. And they find Abraham and they say, Abraham, you're not going to believe what happened. It's so funny to me how, how people seem to always know to go to, to someone like Abraham, right? Abraham's the father of our faith. And so they, this man runs to Abraham and he says, Abraham, 
There's all these people that have been taken off into captivity, including your nephew, Lot. Your family has been captured by the enemy. And so the messenger sends the message to Abraham, which reminds us of the power of our testimony, which is why we're encouraging you to go on the website and share your story with us. Because you and I are the ones who escaped the pit. You and I are the ones who got out. You and I are the ones who somehow got free. It's not pretty. Come on. It's not, it's not, but it's your testimony. It's your testimony how that mindset almost killed me. That attitude almost killed me. That bitterness almost killed me. But somehow I got out. And when you share that message, you know what it does? It stirs up faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you begin to share your story, your testimony, when you begin to say, man, I got out. I don't know how I got out, but somehow by the grace of God, I got out of that. I should have died, but I didn't. I got out of it. It stirs faith. And so you don't just, we just don't play stories like Jason and Summers earlier, uh, just so you can hear a pretty story. We share that message because they're the ones who got out. And guess what? That message stirs our faith to act and to do something, not just to hear what God did for them, but to say, maybe, honey, we need to get in a small group. Hey, maybe I've been doing this on my own long enough. Maybe I need to find a group of men I can join up with. I've been trying to go to school on my own. I can't live for God in this crazy college or this crazy high school. Maybe I need to get together with some young people. That story hits our lives and the message stirs our faith to not just hear it, but to act on it. So Abraham acts on what he hears and he goes out and he finds 318 men. That's the church. And he says, Hey, I need your help. My family's been captured. My loved ones have been captured. My friends have been captured. We need to save their lives. We need to make a difference and I need you to help me do it. In other words, faith realizes I can't do it on my own. And so God gives you a church. Look around real quick. This is what the 318 look like. Go ahead in Cincinnati. Look around. That's what the 318 look like. 318 people that are joining with you saying you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to reach your family on your own. We're not reaching our community on our own together. We join our faith. I need your faith. You need my faith. We need each other's faith. Why? Because together our faith is stronger. Together our faith is greater. Together we can make a difference in our families and our homes. So these 318 men join with Abraham and they go and they, they find a way to rout the enemy and they capture Lot and they capture their families and they bring them back to safety. Notice Abraham avoids the tar pits. He avoids the Valley of Zidim, does he not? He don't try to do it alone. He's not doing it on his own because faith knows these things. Faith knows I got to watch out for the enemy. I got to watch out for how the enemy's trying to distract me with this thing over here. This, this little thing that's going, this little distraction and that little trying to pull me into all these things. Faith knows that the enemy is going to do everything he can to put that tar pit so I'll be unable to do what I'm supposed to do and be effective in this world. Abraham knows I got to have the church. I got to have people that help me. I, 
I'm not, I'm not elevating the church. Jesus elevated the church. He's the one that said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I appreciate that you can do a lot on your own, but I also can appreciate that God knows you need that 318. You need the people that will surround you and help you be all that God's called you to be in Jesus mighty name.